Everybody and welcome to People with Unrelated Accents. Yeah, that's the name of this. I'm Jason and I'm here with Remy. Hello, hello. And Zarin. Hello. You're stuck with the three of us again because uh, while we had hoped to get more folks, uh, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, we almost got JP30 in here, which would have been a rarity. Yeah, hopefully on the next one. In his defense, we only gave him 30 minutes notice. Uh, but in our defense, that's still more notice than Telltale's employees got, so, uh... Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this third episode is a little bit of a departure for us, um, because it's actually topical. We're ripping from the headlines this time to talk about the demise of Telltale Games. We actually did do that for LucasArts, too, but the podcast is still in the editing stages, from what I can understand. Yeah, and of course, Elefan uh, decided to censor it. It was too controversial for the time, but maybe, maybe someday. Oh, yeah. By the way, I, I say this is topical, but I hasten to add, I have no idea when this will be released. I mean, Zarin could be publishing it in 2028 for all I know, but uh, you listeners from 2028, hop in the time machine with us and uh, journey back to a time when Telltale had only recently been shuttered. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of, uh, and by the way, it'll surprise no one listening to know that we did not in any way discuss beforehand any sort of structure for this. We just figured we'd, we'd talk about Telltale until, uh, until we ran out of momentum. But I will say that there's been a lot of articles over the past few weeks, uh, essentially postmortems on the studio. And I think we, we offer a unique perspective because, um, well, I get the impression from a lot of the people reflecting on Telltale that they really were only aware of the company around the time they got The Walking Dead. I, I, I've been amused to read these articles and, and see The Walking Dead Season 1 referred to almost as if it was like the first game Telltale had made. And I, I guess I guess it's the one that made the studio kind of quote-unquote mainstream. Yeah, it's commonly referred to as early Telltale, and you usually have some kind of mention of the uh, actual earlier games, but you get the impression that nobody actually played them, that they just looked at Wikipedia or whatever and uh, realized that they had some games before that. But uh, early Telltale for a lot of the more mainstream media seems to be uh, The Walking Dead and uh, The Wolf, uh, Wolf Among Us. So we in Mojo World have almost the inverse perspective because we were following Telltale from the very beginning and, you know, most of us kind of disengaged, I think, once when we got bored of kind of the bigger licenses they were getting. Yeah, we actually had a review of the first game, the uh, uh, Hold'em, Telltale, Texas Hold'em or whatever it was called. We should talk a little bit about the beginning of Telltale because it's I think it's the most interesting stuff. And also... Um, you know, for as much as we're probably going to be negative, to be fair, I mean, well, first of all, we, we definitely liked Telltale in the early days. They made good games. and But also, I mean, you could argue that they kind of saved Mojo, because if you think back to 2004, which is when they were founded, I mean, let's see, I'm trying to put dates to these events. Sam and Max 2 got canceled in March of that year. 
And it was kind of a turning point for Mojo because it was really the last thing we were diligently covering with any kind of passion, I think. Yeah, Psychonauts at the time, I think, was not cancelled, but Microsoft had dropped it at about the same time. Right, there was definitely still Psychonauts, but it kind of got quasi-cancelled until Majesco picked it up. And uh, But on the LucasArts end, I mean, there really wasn't much we cared about. I mean, I think Knights of the Old Republic 2 came out at the end of that year, but it was sort of, it was sort of lean times for us. Yeah, and I think that was the same time that... Uh... A bunch of the uh, uh, updaters and Jake and Spaff and whoever went and did uh, Idle Thumbs right about the same time. That's right. The A lot of the longtime staffers split uh, to go found Idle Thumbs, which I guess people know is a podcast network now. But in its earliest days, it was a webzine. Kids, uh, you know, ask your parents about that. <laughs> so, so it was kind of a, um, a quiet time for Mojo. And then when Telltale was announced because it was formed by I guess it was three or four members of the Sam MX2 team who had been let go shortly thereafter it was like this it was it was this um it was something to grab onto yeah I think it was all they had and I mean I think from the beginning there was speculations that they were going to start straight off doing a uh, Sam Max game that they might get the uh permissions or the uh, whatever code had been created or whatever games had been created uh, at LucasArts and that they would continue that at Telltale. I'm not sure if that was based on anything, but there were certainly speculations about it at the time. And in those days, I was just a, a reader of Mojo, and I remember when Telltale kind of hit the scene, it was being covered, but not very, like, vigorously. There was just this sense of Mojo being a hospice and the and the, you know... It was being covered, but it was kind of like with this lack of enthusiasm. And I, I remember um, I would go on the forums and every trivial, petty, Telltale-related update, like, you know, a new screenshot about Boneville or whatever, I would make a forum thread about it. Basically the equivalent of news posts on the forum. That was like my way of like trying to um, set an example and say, like, look, there, there is stuff to cover. And then eventually you got fed up and private messaged me and said, um, you know, if you're going to be doing this on the forum, you may as well do it on the front page. So that's actually yeah. how I got on the staff. That is true. I got tired of copying and pasting it. So, yeah. So that's the that's the main takeaway of Telltale's legacy, I think. I would agree. So should we talk about the um, how they announced their first game, which I think was also how the... Um, speculation started about that it would be a Sam and Max game. You're going to have uh, to remind me of that because I remember, I remember, um, I, I feel like the first, because when, when, the, when the company formed, everyone was hoping that it meant they'd make a Sam and Max game, but I, I'm trying to remember the first public, what they said, pu- the first thing they said publicly. I remember there was an Adventure Gamers interview in 2004 where they kind of gave the basic overview of we want to be, you know, the gaming equivalent of a television studio and so forth. Yeah. The first thing that they announced was that it was going to be a license on a uh, comic comic book. And they had a silhouette of what a lot of people said looked like Sam, but with the ears edited out. And they were saying they were doing that to, I don't know, keep it a secret. Or so. It didn't make any sense. It's why Why, why would you just do part of the silhouette if you're going to announce anything. But it was, of course, uh, Bone 
was the uh, um, IP that they went with. Uh, and I think they announced that probably about a week after the uh, Silhouette teaser had been out. And the idea, uh, or who gave them idea to do Bone, I guess, was actually Steve Purcell. Uh, so I don't know if they were talking to him about Sam and Max at that point or anything like that, and they were waiting for the LucasArts license to expire. But uh, the idea apparently came from Steve Purcell to do a uh, Bone game. Yeah, in retrospect, they were probably pursuing Sam and Max from the beginning, and it was just a matter of waiting out that um, exclusivity window, which was only... It only took a year to expire because I think it was in 2005 that they formally announced that they had the rights. And that was the same time that Bad Brain, I think, was oh yeah, why oh, yeah. for it too at the same time. That whole drama. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Hilarious in retrospect. <laughs> Very much so. I don't know how much we want to talk about Bone except to say that um, you know the people complaining that the Wolf Among Us and the Walking Dead did not get finished um, really need to get in line because. Uh, I'm still kind of bitter that we never got the third Bone game. Yeah, and it took about six months, I think, uh, between the uh, two episodes of Bone, or four months or something like that. It was a lot of time, at least. That was before they had established that whole schedule, and those games were just kind of coming out, you know, when they were finished. Yeah, and that was interesting. I don't think a lot of people were really buying into the episodic uh, format at that point. I mean, people were up in arms about it, that that was how the game uh, was going to be released. And a lot of people felt vindicated after the third episode was never, you know, never saw the day. But uh, in the long run, it turned out pretty well for Telltale, I mean, up until now. So, but it was interesting at the time, at least. Do we want to talk about Bone at all? I, uh, I've i been playing some of the older Telltale games because, uh, you know, I've, I've been grabbing all the installers and I haven't had the older games installed on my uh, latest PC. So it was it was kind of fun to go back and, and look at the old times. The only thing I can say about Bone, I haven't played them since they were first released. I thought they were pretty enjoyable. Uh, they weren't necessarily great games. I think they were trying to find their footing at the time, but... Uh... I think they were solid, and I'm kind of bummed that they didn't actually finish finish the games. I agree. I enjoyed them, and, and I re- I do remember the Great Cow Race being a significant improvement over the first one. Like it was clear. Like I, I just remember thinking that if that's the um, if that's the degree that they're going to improve each episode, then um, it was gonna it was gonna turn out to be a pretty great saga. But regrettably, that didn't happen. Yeah, that one was right up there, I think, in quality with the first episode of uh, Sam and Max. Um, the first episode of Bone had certainly potential, but uh, it also had had its issues from a technical perspective, from what I can remember. And I think Dave Grossman had joined the company kind of right when Out from Boneville was um, wrapping up, and I think Great Cow Race was the first game he really got to have any kind of you know, significant fingerprint on, and I think it. I think it is reflected in the game. Yeah, it's not a bad episode. It's a pretty good game. P- people who are fans of Bone can at least look forward to the movie that's supposedly going to be made. Although they've been saying that for something like seven years now. Well, I think they originally started talking about it during uh, the games. Uh, during when the second episode was released, was the first take. I think on trying to make a movie out of it. Did they ever say why they didn't continue the series? 
Or was it just because Seven Max became more successful? They never ever addressed it in a in a direct way, as far as I know. Uh, I would have to assume that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's that the games did badly, or if it's just that once they started making Sam and Max, um, there was just no way that they, it, maybe it was just the the resources were limited to the point where it had to be one or the other, and they went with Sam and Max. That is what I heard, so I believe that is that is the case. Yeah, Boneville's an interesting game to look at now because yes, it's it's you know it's the first adventure game they made, and yes, it is primitive compared to what came after, but it is kind of shocking how much of a telltale game in a, in kind of a timeless sense it feels like. I mean, the the kind of the emphasis on the camera and of the quote-unquote acting, not just the voice acting, but, you know, the characters' expressions and stuff, it's all kind of there um, from day one. Yeah, and I think at the time they were really pushing the uh, telltale engine to be a cinematic engine uh, almost more than anything. Which, when you look at a lot of other adventure games at the time, around 2005, 2006, uh, they weren't really that good as far as, you know, your typical cinematography or choreography or whatever. Uh, so Telltale, the Telltale engine, which kind of ended up being the end of Telltale, I guess, as we look at it now, uh, in the beginning, it was pretty impressive. It would have been interesting, interesting to see how Sam and Max Two, uh, the Lucas Arts version, would have fit into that. Because of course, the last game they ended up releasing, adventure game they ended up releasing, was Escape from Monkey Island, which was of the Grim Fandango kind of uh, quasi three D, which was three um, D characters against a two D background. Sam and Max Two would have been a real time three D engine like Telltale. Use so it would have been interesting to see uh, what that would have looked like if it would have been very similar, uh, or what. Yeah, if I was to speculate, I would assume it would have been pretty similar. I mean, from the few screenshots that you saw, you got the impression that it, the camera work and whatever it is, it would have to have worked fairly similarly to uh, what we ended up seeing in the Telltale games. But again, that's just speculation. Another thing I'll say about Boneville is uh, one, you know, for, for all the uh, technical areas that were, you know, in retrospect, kind of, kind of rough. I mean, the the music was terrific. J- Jared oh, Emerson Johnson, who would keep composing for Telltale Games, you know, for the duration, uh, really kind of set a uh, set a high bar with that. The soundtrack is so good that I'm going to be disappointed if the uh, eventual feature film doesn't sound like it. I mean, the whole concept of sort of the, um, the epic saga music blended with bluegrass uh, was just like a really great um, take on that world from an audio perspective. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, if we, if we, if we just talk about a soundtrack, about soundtracks, there'd be a lot to talk about with Telltale. Because, um, I mean, the Sam and Max games just have terrific music. Oh yeah, Jared, he put his heart into that company as far as, I mean, if you're going to talk about who, you know, if 10 years from now we're talking about Telltale, who really was the unsung hero of Telltale, then Jared definitely did some amazing, amazing work there. Do we want to talk about Telltale Texas Hold'em at all? It seems like that would be a, there'd be not much to say about it. I mean, that was, it was an engine test. Uh, It was, 
entertaining enough. I don't think it was worth the $20 that it cost or whatever, but I do seem to recall we gave it a fairly decent review on Mojo, but that might have been because that was the only thing at the time that we could have reviewed, so take, take it with a grain of salt, I guess. Well, it was their very first project, and also, um, I, I think this is technically true, the only game Telltale ever made that had only original characters in it. Yeah, I think that's correct. So their next big project after Bone was abandoned with Sam and Max Season 1, which um, was... Uh, I actually replayed it um, the other week, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is heresy or not, but I'd, I'd put, I, I think it could be spoken of in the same breath with uh, Hit the Road. It's a really good game. <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, it has probably some greater flaws than Hit the Road has, but it has some higher highs, too, the way that I look at it, at least. I mean, I think the design of a lot of the uh, puzzles uh, definitely are better than Hit the Road. And uh, I don't know, I kind of like the world that they created within it, too, especially when you know they had a budget that could not have been particularly huge. They did a lot with very little. Yeah, they're they're very well designed games. Um, I mean, really, the only the only thing I would knock on it is it's you know it was still early days in Telltale's engine, and you could really see that progression in a very clear way if you play all three seasons in successive order. You can just see between season one and two, you know, background elements started to become a little bit more present even between episodes you could see they would throw animated rats in the background they would put more litter on the street things would just get a little bit more alive and you could just see them pushing that further with each outing um so the only thing i would say about season one is i imagine it would probably there would be a lot more of that probably if they could have made it you know even a year later than they did yeah i think it literally uh came down to like you said, every episode, and they were hiring more and more people, so they could put people on, you know, doing those smaller details. So yeah, it's kind of interesting in that sense. I would have to say the game holds up though. When I when I played through it, uh, it the, the the what's too bad about Telltale being kaput is uh, they'll never do the re-release I've always wanted, where the um the audio samples are, you know, less strangled, which is an issue of all their games. I think at least the earlier ones. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, at that time, they were probably trying to get the uh, download sizes down a little bit, too. I mean, it wasn't that common to have the type of broadband that we have now. So it kind of makes sense. And when did, I guess, uh, we? this is probably around the time that some former Mojo staffers joined Telltale, because Jake, Telerium, Tobacco, um, Metellus all wound up there one after the other, right? Yeah, I know Jake started right around episode two of Bone, uh, and I think the others just kind of dropped in there very quickly right after. Actually, yeah, now that you mention it, I think uh, the main interface for the um, inventory and the save screens and all that stuff, I believe Jake did those for the first episode of uh for the first season of uh, Seven Max. I believe that's true, and he also did the um, he designed the title sequence too, and I think would go yep. on to do that for the uh, the subsequent seasons too. Yeah, exactly. Well, we should talk a little bit about the voice acting because, like LucasArts before it, that's always been a big element of Telltale's games. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, they got kind of a bad rap to start off with uh, as far as the Sam Max games uh, went, but I think that was largely because people had gotten so accustomed to the original voice actors in Hit the Road that when you started doing the comparison, they were certainly different in style, uh, the voice acting, and I guess that graded on some people, but I always thought the main characters sounded pretty good in those games. Oh yeah, the voice acting's uniformly great in the Sam and Max games. And, and I think, and like a lot of other elements of those games, they just kept getting better. Um, it would have been nice to, for continuity's sake to get the old guys. I think, I think it was probably more disappointing to people because Freelance Police was such a recent event and LucasArts was able to get those two guys back. It is a little sad to think that uh, they recorded all that dialogue for that game and it's just sitting in a hard drive somewhere. Yeah, and I don't know, from what I've heard, the, uh, I mean, I'm sure it would have been great, the uh, uh, LucasArts Freelance Police, but the whole thing that that would have been the holy grail of voice acting compared to what actually was released from Telltale, uh, it's probably more of an urban legend from people who haven't actually heard heard anything from those games and that the quality would be comparable if you look at it uh, in the larger level. And I think that's probably a lot of truth to that. Yeah. At any rate, the new guys were great. And um, of course, it wasn't the first time the voice actors had changed for those characters. There was the animated series. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, the explanation there was that uh, it was produced in Canada, and for some union reason, they couldn't get the uh, the original guys. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's fine. It's a different take on the same characters. It's not unheard of. That's the other thing uh, you can credit Telltale for, which is not just reviving Sam and Max as uh, video games, but sort of the whole franchise got a boost just from an awareness standpoint. You know, Steve Purcell made a new webcomic as part of the general, um, you know, revitalization. We got the DVD re-release. We got the uh, collected comic book re-release. So it was kind of this, um, it was a pretty wide-ranging revival. Yeah, I mean, they went both feet in, and uh, I don't know if anybody had really expected the uh, comics to be re-released in the uh, hardbook uh, format, but I don't know if any of you guys have that one, uh, but it was a really nice print. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I, I do think you can still buy it, um, obviously not from Telltale anymore, but uh, I think it's still in print through some website. Yeah, it's worth checking out if you haven't. Uh, and if you just want the comics, I think you can get them through uh, Comixology, too, if you want the uh, digital uh, version of the book. A lot of adventure game players were attracted to Telltale and got on board, of course, because they were you know, making Sam and Max games and eventually Monkey Island. But the company, from the company's standpoint, they weren't necessarily making graphic adventure games. From their standpoint, they were always kind of moving in the direction of making and basically what they ended up making, which is big licenses, the likes of Batman and The Walking Dead. But in the early days, before they can afford the big licenses, they they uh, bought the rights to niche licenses, which happened to be licenses that, you know, were adventure gamer relevant. Um, so there's this interesting um, relationship between adventure gamers and Telltale, because it seems like their early products were 
the, the audience for the early products was decidedly not the same audience that um, they would ultimately cater to. And I think because adventure gamers were the were the main the main followers in the early days, and Telltale was you know not necessarily trying to cater to a niche, even though that was kind of the case how things ended up uh, in the first few years. There was this kind of friction over whether or not the puzzles were difficult enough. Yeah, and it was the whole thing that they weren't necessarily hardcore enough. A lot of people were, or not a lot, some people at least, were complaining about that. And it's interesting if you're going to look at, you know, you look at the company Telltale uh, 2006 and 2018, and there were two completely different companies just down to the people who worked there. But at the same time, too, if you look at the fans of the company, uh, that Venn diagram, I think, has increasingly uh, become smaller, the overlapping uh, part of it. I don't think there are a whole lot of people who were really into the Sam Max games that seem to be ass into Walking Dead Season 4. I think they were just unaware of it. I, I don't think it was until Walking Dead that it became a studio that was kind of people were really familiar with at large. No, I totally agree. But it is interesting if you look at the um, if you look at the stuff Telltale was saying rather than just simply what people were ascribing to them as far as like their motives. They were always pretty clear from the beginning about what they were trying to do. They never really portrayed themselves as LucasArts 2.0 or, or, or you know, the, the revival house for graphic adventure games. I think there, were, there was just this nice overlap in the early days because certainly what they were doing had some shared DNA with adventure games, but they were more interested in sort of the story and character driven elements of an adventure game more so than the um the mechanics. Yeah, I don't think they ever really indicated that uh they were gonna do anything other than what they did. Uh it's just a lot of people had a hard time accepting that, I guess, after having two seasons of uh Sam and Max, then getting Monkey Island, another season of uh Sam and Max. Uh I don't know, I think it was just easy for people to forget what Telltale actually had set out doing in the first game that really seemed to fulfill what they were talking about in the beginning was probably The Walking Dead. Possibly Back to the Future, I guess. Isn't it because of the uh, success of The Walking Dead that they almost they exclusively continue to make games in that same, same way? And because you just walk around and talk to people until something happens and then you walk around and talk to people in the next scene. I think the first season might have had a couple of very basic puzzles, but yeah, you can't really compare it to adventure game puzzles at all. I don't think you can get stuck in The Walking Dead. No, but you can't really get stuck in any of Telltale's game, though, can you? But at least they used to have inventories and puzzles in the previous games. They were at least simple adventure games, but The Walking Dead, they kind of, it became a visual novel, basically. Yeah, I think there were some very there there were puzzles in the Walking. And by the way, that was the last Telltale game I played, so my perspective's kind of limited. But <laughs> but but if 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 you're if you're looking at this from my perspective, and that game's like the last one, I recall that I think Jurassic Park may have been the most extreme in terms of visual novel. In terms of you're basically just playing a quick time cutscene. I think compared to that, know, the Walking Dead might have pulled back a little bit. 
Was that released before The Walking Dead, Jurassic Park? I think it was. I was a defender of Jurassic Park. I mean, I understand why everybody hated it. Um, nobody wanted to play, I guess. I mean, it's basically Dragon's Lair uh, meets Jurassic Park. But, um, you know, I don't mind playing Dragon's Lair meets Jurassic Park. But certainly if you were looking some, for something with more, uh, I guess, substantial gameplay, it was definitely not going to be for you. Right. But that game definitely represented a big leap toward that kind of, um, you know, the decision-based game, I guess you could say. I would take your word for it. I haven't actually played it. When did you go? What's the last Telltale game you guys have played? Because, uh, like I say, for uh, me, it was I, I kind of stopped diligently following their stuff after Walking Dead Season 1. Wolf Among Us probably is the last one I finished a complete season. I started on uh, the second season of uh, the Walking Dead, um, but then I realized it. I mean, the story of the Walking Dead is basically how can you put them into another depressive situation where things go to hell, and then just another situation out of that where things go to hell. It's it it, it becomes repetitive, you know. It's it's repetitive depression, really. The entire series, I got I got tired of it. I remember thinking Wolf Among Us looked really good. The Wolf Among Us is great. Wolf Among Us kind of played up to the uh, the limitations of the engine because it's very cel-shaded, kind of low. It, it doesn't try to be photorealistic or do any of the, anything like that. And I think it really works great with the Telltale engine. Now, as far as games that I played, the only reason that I played probably a lot more games than you guys was that I was on the uh, uh, Telltale review list. I got the review codes and didn't have to pay for the games. So I played all the way up until season two of uh, Batman, which I thought was pretty good. Season two wasn't too bad, but most of the ones before that, it, it I think The Wolf Among Us was probably the last great game they had. Tales from uh, Borderland, from the Borderlands wasn't that bad either, but they they kind of struck the limitation pretty early on that formula of just putting whatever IP into the same gameplay uh, that The Walking Dead presented. Well, let me ask you this. What, uh, which Telltale games have you not played? Uh, quite a few, actually. I mean, it, it's like, I mean, the, uh, as far as The Walking Dead goes, I'm the same thing with, uh, same impression as uh, Roger has about them that I start. I played season two, and I thought it was good. Um, season three, I started, and it was still good. But how much can you really sit around and get smacked down by these depressing stories? I mean, it's technically impossible for that story to end well unless all of a sudden all the zombies are cured, and that's probably not going to happen. So it's like. Where are you going to actually go with it? There's a limit to how far you can take that story with any kind of variation. At least that's my opinion on it. My memory of The Walking Dead was I, I remember being caught between how much I enjoyed the game in general and how much I didn't care about The Walking Dead as a universe, you know? Oh, yeah, no, totally agree. I, I, I just remember thinking, like, I really wish this kind of... Um, this kind of approach was being put to something I cared about. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's kind of, it worked really well with um, The Wolf Among Us because 
yeah, again, like Roger said, the the uh, Telltale engine really just seemed like it was very much almost made for those kind of games, that kind of visual style, that kind of gameplay, and it made sense. But they tried to shoehorn pretty much everything else into it too, and. I, my opinion is that at least partly why we're seeing uh, Telltale being shut down right now is how many times can you recreate the same game with different characters in a different uh, setting. And like, uh, and like we were saying before, um, without having any original IP to fall back on, I mean, the business model of the licenses is kind of... I mean, in some ways it's it's less risky than an original idea but in some ways it's not because a licensing model especially when you talk about these big licenses you pretty much have to sell really well every time out and kind of up front because i would imagine that to obtain a big license for in the first place you're spending a ton of money just up front on the to, to get it and then you're splitting the revenue presumably by some percentage with the with the license owner and then on top of that it's you know a license only lasts for a finite amount of time before it, it expires and then you have to decide if it's worth renewing so it's almost like a buying a mortgage and i mean the only way it works is if it sells a ton of units right away and even then you're only getting a piece of it yeah it's a dangerous business model and i mean they were obviously riding on the walking dead uh, since it first became a hit, but I mean, if you look at The Walking Dead TV show and whatever, I mean, I, I haven't watched it in years, but I can't imagine that it's a huge hit anymore. Uh, certainly critically, I know it's not. And so if if you have all your, all your money in that one basket, then presumably that is not going to be something that will really help well obviously it didn't help the company there in the end it just seems like a very myopic um business plan because i mean you don't own anything and i just i, I i'm thinking in terms of dollars and cents i certainly understand the appeal on an individual basis if the choice is between a walking dead game or something new the Walking Dead's the less risky choice, but on the other hand, if if you're not supplementing those licensed games with, with something else, then you really don't have anything that you can make money on in, in an evergreen way. In other words, if, you, if they would have just made a few original games over the years, yes, it probably would have taken them a while to find a hit, but once they would have found a hit it would have been a lot more valuable than a Walking Dead because it would have been this perennial revenue source. It would have been something they would have owned outright and they would have gotten 100 cents out of every dollar and then the merchandising and so forth. But because they just insisted on doing exclusively licensed games, they were really just investing in things that, um, you know, didn't have a... were not in perpetuity. Yeah, and I mean... You know, I mean, we can speculate at this point, I guess. Uh, and maybe they could have been able to coast along on licenses for a little bit longer, but they at least would have had to change the 
game I mean all the games are exactly the same as far as gameplay goes they pretty much look the same because of the limitation of the telltale engine and I think people at some point would just I mean we can talk about uh walking dead fatigue but we're also getting a telltale fatigue how many times can you keep playing that same game and I'm just I wonder too it's like if they even did I mean I'm going to use Sam Max as a example just because that's something that we would cover if they had in between release you know typical regular graphic adventure game Sam and Max it would probably not have sold as much as uh any of the bigger IPs but at the same time people would be looking at it and then see Telltale as a game that or a company that actually could do something else and just repeating the same formula over and over. And it's also, I think, um, a matter of taking the wrong lessons away from success. I mean, the first season of The Walking Dead, um, yes, it was successful because it was a big license, but it was obviously especially successful and, and acclaimed because... Um, it was an evolution from what had come before. They were pushing the envelope. They were doing something a little bit different. And when the result of that um, experimenting and change was success, then the probably the, the logical conclusion to draw from that should have been, let's continue to change things up and find success that way. But instead, when The Walking Dead was such a big hit, it was just, I think the reaction from the management was, ah, we found our formula. And we'll just keep iterating on that formula. And it doesn't work that way. Because that's not the reason... I mean, the, the reason the first season was such a big hit in context was because it was this um, type of game that they had kind of found along the way while kind of changing, changing their gameplay up. Yep, no, I agree completely. So the company was founded in 2004. So 14 years of existence. I mean... Not even one, right? Not one original IP. I mean, the closest they got was the uh, Nelson Tethers. That's right, Nelson Tethers. But even that's ambiguous because that might, and I don't know this for sure. Uh, that might technically be owned. Those characters might be owned by Graham Annabel. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing his name right. Graham Annabel. Yeah. Um, the I think the Hidden People is that what they're called? Uh, they had definitely appeared in this work before, and I think they're still appearing. So I think that it was in some way or another license from him. I don't know how that worked exactly, but... Uh... Nelson Tethers is an original uh, character, and most of the others are, but you know the, the hidden people and the the style of the graphics is certainly from Graham Animal. So it's not original in that way. No, completely. I Yeah, I would not call it a original IP at all, but I think it's about as close as they got, except for the uh, Texas Hold'em. Game. Right, I was going to say, the, the only thing you could call an unqualified original IP is their poker games, and even that's, I mean, Poker Night at the Inventory is is a telltale property, but it's kind of meaningless as one, because the whole conceit of those games is that it's got licensed characters in it. Hence why we didn't, or they uh, yanked the uh, Season 2, I think? Poker Night 2, yeah. Yeah. Those were good games, by the way. I didn't like uh, the first game that much, the AI didn't seem to be that great in it, but the second game I liked a lot. It was a lot of fun. So we skipped straight past 
Tales of Monkey Island. Should we say anything about that? Seeing that it seems kind of pertinent to what Mojo usually does. Yeah, we skipped a couple of things. I mean, after Sam and Max Season 1 and 2, you had Strong Bad's Cool Game for Attractive People, which, you know, was really, really good. Um, Wallace and Gromit was really good, although I don't get the impression many people played it. Um, you can't play it anymore, can you? Wasn't that one of the licenses that were yanked? Yeah, I mean, you can re-download it um, if you had already bought it, which I did. Um, oh, yeah. So, that's a good, I mean, if you haven't played Walls and Gromit, um, it is kind of a significant piece of the um, evolution of the engine, too. I mean, it, it it's just, I, there's not much I could say about it. It's just a really well-designed game, and they were, it was just kind of the next um, level in terms of graphics that the Telltale engine was able to do. It's sort of a missing link between um, Sam and Max Season 2 and, and Tales. Yeah, I think the visual style really did fit with the engine. I mean, I've only played a little bit of Season uh, or Episode 1, and I thought the visuals on that one looked very similar to the movies. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely got the, uh, the art style nailed for that. So we should get into Tales, because like you say, that is kind of Mojo-centric. Um, I remember that being very sudden. Like, it was very abrupt that they announced the new Monkey Island game. Kind of, no, nobody saw it coming kind of deal. They managed to fly that one a little bit under the radar, I think, because everybody, uh, there were all the rumors about the uh, uh, special edition of Monkey Island 1 floating around. And when that one was announced, I think it took everybody by surprise that, you know, the fifth Monkey Island game was announced at the same time. Yeah, it was pretty impressive the way um, LucasArts and Telltale managed to uh, coordinate all that so successfully. Yeah, uh, I remember that we were covering it on uh, Mojo as it was announced. I mean, literally, as the website was uh, being made live on LucasArts' side. And I remember we had myself and uh, Benny kept overriding uh, each other's news posts, the same news posts, over and over again, just because things kept changing and nobody really understood that. It had something on the LucasArts site saying that the adventure continues at Telltale, and we're trying to figure out what Telltale had to do with it if they were the ones who had, you know, done the uh, uh, special edition or whatever they had to do with it. And of course, ultimately, we saw that there was a fifth game, and I think that nobody had seen that one coming. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun those those months, and I do remember. It, it seemed to me that the time between Tales was announced, which I guess was E3 of 2009, and the release of the first episode, it was very quick. I mean, part of that was, I'm sure, the fact that it was episodic, and, and like you say, they did manage to keep it under wraps, uh, despite having been working on it for a while. But it, that's such a change from, um, that, that's so different from, you know, Escape from Monkey Island, where, you know, you, you, were, you were speculating for 12 to 18 months and waiting for the first screenshot and everything. I mean, with this, it was just like, the game's coming out, and then it was out, you know? Yeah, no, that was pretty impressive, actually. And, I mean, I remember the review copies, they managed to get those out really, really fast. And they were bugged review copies, but I still think that was smart of them just to keep that momentum going of having a license that certainly was the biggest one they had at the time as far as uh gaming crowds i mean walls and ground might have been bigger but as far as video game licenses go uh 
they they really managed to keep the momentum going there. It's as far as marketing and whatever goes, that's one of the better things I think Telltale ever did. Yeah, Tales of Monkey Island really holds up. Um, I think it's better than Escape from Monkey Island, probably. And uh, I mean, it's 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 kind of miraculous enough that we got a fifth game, but that we got one that was you know really good was um was was pretty great too. I think it was better than Curse of Monkey Island. I mean, it doesn't have the same atmosphere necessarily or as coherent of an art style, but I think as far as the game goes, dialogue, whatever, I, I really like Tales. I thought it was a very good game. I do. I, now, that, that game was a victim of a simultaneous WiiWare development. I know that uh, kind of... Yep. Lim- it, it imposed a ceiling a bit on uh, the game's graphical and musical... Um, the potential tales is probably it is the only um only telltale game where they didn't do any kind of recording of the music where it's all midi format because the WiiWare uh platform required all games to be a maximum of 40 megabytes and i think that i think that hurt the game in a bit in both the design and that they had to limit the amount of graphics but also especially in the sound department is because all the voices in the games, especially on the V, sounds like they were recorded underwater. And <laughs> the music is really, well, it has a really cheap sound bank simply to fit it in, into that 40 me- megabyte file size. I, I think part of it was just coincidental um, in the sense that uh, during that time or in the years leading up to that, that was when Telltale was just beginning to do simultaneous releases with the PC and a console. This was before they were on every console at once. And I remember Strong Bad, it was PC and WiiWare, you know. And, and WiiWare was a very good fit for Strong Bad because that art style was basically, you know, they were impersonating Flash, so there was no really issue there. And then I think Wallace and Gromit was um, PC and Xbox, maybe? It was Xbox yeah, or PlayStation. Str- Strong Babbles and Xbox, too, at the same time. Right. Yeah. So so I think, basically, Telltale, uh, Tales of Monkey Island was coupled with WiiWare, because I, I think like it's it was WiiWare's turn, basically, for from Telltale's perspective. Like They were kind of rotating the consoles that the games would get uh, released on, debut on. What Wallace and Gromit was so what it was Windows and Xbox 360. Right, that that that's and right. What one of the episodes was also released on the iPad. Yeah, and yeah. so I I think it was just sort of this unfortunate consequence that uh, Tales of Monkey Island was made when Telltale decided that WiiWare was the platform they wanted to do a co- a, a simultaneous release on. I I will say this, although it really is too bad, and I wish it would have happened to a different game instead of Monkey Island. Um, first of all, the soundtrack's really good. I mean, my, they got Michael Land back. Oh, it's fantastic. The, the, the music itself is great. And, you know, if, if you want to take a glasses half full uh, perspective on this, the fact that it is in MIDI um, gives it a kind of... Uh, I think I think people have made this comment that it, it very much sounds uh, Monkey Island 2-esque um, yeah. for that reason. And that that's kind of a cool thing. Although, for sure, I would not have... Uh, thumbed my nose at a game that had more live instruments, especially since, you know, Telltale itself had at that point had really impressive soundtracks with live instruments. I mean, what Jared did with the Sam and Max games was astounding. And of course, you know, Curse and Escape from Monkey Island had set a certain standard for their time in terms of production values. It, it is unfortunate that 
Tales kind of took a step back in that regard. I'm looking at the list of Telltale games, and it seems like a ditch to be after Tales, except for Back to the Future, but that was probably a retail release of the entire season. Yeah, that was right about when the Wii started waning, I think, too, as far as popularity went. So yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, WiiWare specifically was not, I don't think, necessarily the most... Uh, I don't think that was ever ahead. Popular of the... Yeah, yeah. It did have a lot of criticism because Nintendo's always kind of been behind the other consoles when it comes to online services, and especially with the Wii where you had 512 megs of memory where you could save the games on the console itself, and it was a very limited console compared to the other two, so every game that has been ported it kind of had to be scaled down. I've played both versions, and while the PC one is absolutely the one to play, uh, the, the WiiWare version does have the uh, the, nun- the nunchuck... Uh, I guess that was what it was called. It was it was the accessory you plugged into your Wii mode. The control the controls were actually pretty perfect on the Wii, um, because of the because the game it it was a combination of direct control and point and click, and uh, the Wii control screen control scheme uh, married with that kind of perfectly, and the music sounds different on the WiiWare version. It 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 has an even more vintage feel to it. Yeah, the Wii version just made it MIDI files played back via Soundbank live and you play the game while the and the PC version they used uh, some better sounding samples and they pre-recorded the entire soundtrack so it would sound the same on every computer no matter which which sound card you have. Oh I see so the PC version is essentially like a recording of a MIDI. Yeah. And the, the WiiWare version is literally a MIDI. Yeah. That's that's the way they managed to keep it under the file system limits and the WiiWare by not having any pre-recorded music at all. I will say that uh, it, the games, you know, uh, from a non-musical perspective, the, the impact that the limited file size had, it was fairly, um, they did a good job of uh, squeezing out, you know, every last, last bite available to them. The only the only thing I remember sticking out was uh, a lot of character models looked very samey, which I ascribed to that. Uh, and they had a they had an in joke in the game, right? Didn't they have something called the? Uh, they had they had some oblique reference to the forty megabytes. Yeah, it was Club Forty One or whatever it's called. Oh, that that's right, that's right. Which is also a Disneyland reference in keeping with the um, the Disneyland analogies. Yeah, I don't think they actually knew that. There's no way they didn't know that. Somebody somebody involved with that knew what they were doing when they came up with that. There might have been somebody, but I I seem to recall having read a interview with Mike Stemley when they asked him about that if it was a Disney reference and he was saying no, it was just a reference to the uh uh Nintendo uh, limitation. That's not to say that somebody didn't actually know that. I have no clue, but uh that was at least the original idea behind it. Well, I think it's a I think it's a dual reference. It's a reference to Club Thirty Three. Yeah, there's no. I, I'm I'm gonna have to insist that it's a Disneyland I, I, reference. I I will go with your insistence. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, at the time, Tales from Monkey Island came out, which was two thousand and nine. That was nine years after the fourth game, and that was the longest stretch. And I mean that that was part of the reason people were so surprised. They thought like after a certain after a certain hiatus, it was just a lost cause. And here it came nine years later. But but now we're here in uh, two thousand and eight. Um. So we're yeah eighteen. Sorry. <laughs> so we're primed to uh to best that hiatus. Yeah, they actually have. So there we go. 
interesting question if they ever made a Monkey Island 6 who would be the best people to do it. I mean, at the time, Telltale was better equipped than LucasArts. Um, I wonder who who would be best now. I guess they could give it back to Ron. I, yeah, I don't see that ever happen, happening. Uh, if I was going to put money on something, I would expect them to do a uh, complete reboot. That I, I don't know who it would be, but that would be my guess. Well, I don't even know what reboot means anymore. Well, yeah, no, good point. Uh, no, I mean totally starting all fresh again. Well, that would keep us in business for a while, just uh, corralling it all would. the all the uh, the outrage that would come out of that. There would be a lot of complaining. I guess neither of you guys really played that much after uh, The Wolf Among Us. I did, I did come back. I, I think what I'm about to say is correct. I played literally every game from Texas Hold'em to Walking Dead Season 1. And I mean, like, mm-hmm. every game. Like, the CSI ones, too. And that's a lot of games. And that's about when I stopped kind of playing games altogether. It wasn't even a, a reaction to Telltale. Uh, but then I came back for Game of Thrones for some reason. But those are the, that, that's kind of my... Uh, yeah. That's my resume. That's That's the one I haven't played. That, CSI, and Jurassic Park. I guess those are the three that I haven't played. Game of Thrones. I don't think it got particularly good reviews from what I can remember. Uh, I don't. I don't know about the reviews. I. I mean, I. I remember enjoying it. It was. You know. It. it I would describe it the way a lot of people describe the latter day Telltale games. It's like playing through, just a story without a lot of um. Without a lot of uh, you know, input on your own. But you know, there's there's a place for a game. There's a place for games like that. Sure. I remember where the complaint came pretty early about how you don't have the uh, kind of narrative control over the games that the um, the games kind of wanted you to think you did. But I always kind of felt like that was a good thing. I mean, if 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 there's not a, a an author at the steering wheel, then it's not going to be a good story. But that you know, we could get we could get into the weeds on that, I guess, for a while. The peer campaigns, especially for Walking Dead Season 1, was all about the choices that you made that they would count. And of course, it all converged into one ending. So, so it's, it's, a, it's about g- giving people a different set of expectations than what you're actually delivering in-game. And that, that's my main complaint with uh, The Walking Dead Season 1, is the lying during the PR and the commercials. See, I don't remember. I, I, don't, I guess I didn't pay attention to how they were selling the game. Well, all the games start with that same... I don't remember exactly what the blurb is, but your choice choices matter to how the game continues and yada, yada, yada. They're really giving you the uh, impression that it's going to make a huge difference when... You know, and every time you have a conflict, it's always someone remembers that. Yeah. But they don't really. That was Kevin Bruner's... Uh, <laughs> big uh, input, I guess, was to have that thing pop up uh, whenever something was quote-unquote remembered. So neither of you actually played Tales from the Borderlands? I did not. I don't know anything about... I actually don't know anything about that property at all. I, I had basically played the original game for about 10 minutes, and I hated it, but the uh, Tales from the Borderlands is actually... A very good game. Uh, it's funny. It has interesting characters. It's fairly original the way that the story uh, progresses. I know of anything after The Wolf Among Us, I would say that is probably 
the one and probably only game that I would say everybody who was a fan of the old LucasArts games should try. Story-wise, it actually feels a little more LucasArts-like. Plus, the soundtrack is probably one of the better ones in uh, uh, the Telltale uh, history. Only thing I could say is it doesn't surprise me that Tales from the Borderland is good. I mean, I know all of those games had fans. That was just kind of past that point where I just sort of disengaged in a general sense. It wasn't even like a, you know, I I didn't stop playing these games because of any specific, um, you know, animosity toward like individual games. I was just kind of done at a certain point. And for the record, to the first season of Batman, I think it's probably one of the worst games I can think of I've ever played. It is cringeworthy. And it, it's interesting to me that season two started almost straight after the last episode was released. I mean, there were a few months between, but I, I can't help but wonder that. I mean, at the time, I was wondering if the they just didn't have any good writers on board uh, anymore at Telltale, but I don't think that's really the case. I think it was more uh, a workload that just sounds like it must have been absolutely abhorrent at the point. And because season two is good, uh, but now having read what all these people are saying on Twitter or whatever about having having to endure working conditions at Telltale. Uh, it's fairly obvious that the quality of the games just started nose-diving uh, more and more as they got more IPs that they had to work on uh, and less time to work on them. And I guess it's really not any especially unique story about what happens when a company starts off kind of small and then kind of grows too fast. I mean, I think about those early days of Telltale, and that was just a lot. It, that was, you know... It's significant that that used to be a really great company just to follow, you know, like beyond the games they made, they were just doing interesting things. All the, all the, they had that online store that was selling cool stuff. There was the, um, the extras they used to make the, um, the, the big box versions of the games, the Sam and Max case file, all the kind of random paraphernalia, the videos they would make. It was just a completely different spirit back then. Part of me thinks that the problem wasn't so much that they grew, but that they grew, um, they weren't growing proportionate to, I guess, what they could handle. I mean, you, I, I wasn't really following the company by the time it kind of became the form it became, but from the articles that have come out, it sounds like they would, there was a certain point where they, they grew, like, you know, by units of magnitude in terms of just, like, hiring a 100 people at a time. I mean, that's not a sustainable thing. No, I don't think they had any kind of business plan. I mean, I think it was one of those things that they kind of stumbled into having a huge critical success and probably a very good commercial success with uh, uh, The Walking Dead. But... At this point, I can't help wonder, did he have any kind of business manager or anything like that? Or was it Dan Connors and Kevin Bruner who made business decisions at that point? Because they were certainly not, I mean, Connors, I guess, to a point, had a bit of a business background as a producer. But they're not your typical business people. And if you're going to try to grow a company, uh, 
you certainly need to have some kind of training or some kind of background in business. And I don't see anybody in the telltale leadership at that time that actually had that. Well, and also, you know, as a quasi defense of them, there's the people in charge that you see and the people in charge that you don't see. And just as, you know, LucasArts may have had a front facing president, um, but, you know, really it was run by kind of a, a shadowy cabal of Lucasfilm executives. It's possible that Dan Connors uh, and and Kevin Bruner didn't necessarily have the unilateral power. You know, there, there's there's people you got to answer to the, the the investors. No, they, case, they like, had a board certainly, which and I partly agree with that. But at the same time, when you looked at the credits for their games, and they had everybody in the company uh, in the credits, and I can remember at the time wondering about that that. They really didn't have much as far as a business department went or HR department or anything like that, which to me at the time was surprising because the company was clearly growing and I did not get the impression that actually growing it as a smartly run business was particularly on the forefront of anybody's minds at that point. It's it's almost like they got a little too excited when they when The Walking Dead Season 1 became such a hit. Oh, yeah. And that, ha- like you said, that happens with small companies that grow as fast as Telltale uh, did. So it's not like this has never happened before with anybody else. It's like instead of growing a little bit in response to that, they decided to grow, you know, by 30,000% overnight. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard to blame them. I mean, you know, you get that taste of success and... You know, you had the game right after that, and you had the second season of The Walking Dead, and I'm sure they all did really well. So what do you do? You probably go all in and hope for the best. Yeah, and that's what they did. (laughs) (laughs) We saw how that went. Yeah, I think, see, that probably would have been the time to start um, diversifying their catalog. Like, okay, we've got our hit. Now let's make a a Walking Dead Season 2 and an original game. You know, let's make Wolf Among Us Season 2 and an original game. Let's make a Batman an original game, but they just never were willing to do that. That becomes the question, of course, what will happen to the catalog if the company folds completely? And, and that's the thing. They have no catalog, right? Because all their games, I mean, sure, they own the assets of the games, but I mean, if you were to buy Telltale right now, you're really just buying debt because you have to get all the licenses yourself for the, those games to be releasable. Yeah, I mean, you can buy them as part, part of, you know, making Telltale a clearinghouse, I guess, for uh, licenses. Yeah, but you would you would still just be buying whatever agreement they had, which was going to be finite. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. But, I mean, it might be worthwhile for somebody to do it. I have no idea. But that, that, like you said, is the big question. Would anybody be willing to do that? And if not, I mean, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. These games are going to disappear. Here's an interesting point. It would be so ironic if Disney bought Tales from Monkey Island, because if you think about it, I mean, it's kind of a useless project. It's it's kind of a useless uh, asset to anybody but Disney, and I can't imagine Telltale could, uh, you know, I mean, what what kind of a number could they really assign to it? I mean, Disney could probably buy Tales from Monkey Island for a relative pittance and have all five games under their roof. I mean, I don't know if they would care enough to do it, but it's it's sort of an interesting uh, existential question for that game. I mean, is it is it worth anything to Telltale or whoever would buy Telltale's assets to have you know, Monkey Island Five, but without any way of selling it? 
if they actually go bankrupt, I'm kind of interested in what will happen because I know that a lot of companies that get to that point are pretty much forced to sell off anything that they can sell off to try to make up whatever difference they can to whatever credit debts or whatever they have. So, I mean, it's not impossible that Disney would jump in. I mean, this is kind of an aside, but seeing that Disney has almost shown more interest in the games, the LucasArts catalog, than I had expected when you saw the uh, Infinite Machine was just released on uh, GOG. So maybe there are some, somebody there who actually cares about LucasArts games, and maybe that is something that will happen. Yeah, I was going to say, all it takes is that all it takes is that one person in the right department who cares about those games to just sign the right dotted line. And then, you know, cause it certainly is no big deal in terms of effort or money. It just takes one person, I think in that, in that structure who cares enough. And I, it sounds like double fine was lucky enough um, with Sony's help as an intermediary to find someone on the Disney side who was willing to play ball with regard to that. I mean, I really think it was as simple as that finding that person that, kind of open those floodgates yeah no exactly exactly well speaking of what's going to happen to telltale's games did you guys uh re-download all your old purchases like i did because uh they are drm free at least the older stuff yeah I got- yeah i got the drm free stuff and of course if you bought them on steam they should always be available but or at least that's been the policy of steam if if a game is removed from a store you can still download and play it if you bought it before it's been removed I'm curious about the console and the uh, iPad and uh, iPhone and whatever uh, versions. Oh, the App Store. Yeah, the App Store versions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're probably going to be gone. That's my guess too. But at least with the uh, iTunes App Store, you can download things. I mean, I can still download the uh, uh, Monkey Island games because I have bought them at some point. So I, I think if you own them, you own them. But, you know, at some point, iOS is going to be updated in one way or another and it will require the apps to be updated and nobody will be around to do that so we'll see what happens if you have the pc or mac version then somebody will probably create hacks for those so that should be okay i would hope yeah and you probably need the uh at least with the physical releases you can still play them on the xbox and the playstation 3 because those don't require any authentication either yeah exactly Mm -hmm. well i will say that i mean if you if you uh were to be charitable and isolate just the positive stuff. I mean, Telltale does have a pretty pretty great legacy. I mean, Sam and Max, the three seasons they made were all really good. Tales was really good. Nelson Tethers was great. You know, um, Strong Bad was great. Wallace and Gromit. So they made some really good games. And I guess at the end of the day, um, you know, those are the things that are going to go on. You know, studios don't last, but the games do. And uh, they did put out some good stuff. And I think in the context of... Um, uh, the state of adventure games, they were a very crucial um, kind of bridge between, you know, companies like LucasArts making AAA adventure games, you know, that that went away. And then later on, we got kind of the Kickstarter era that kind of brought a lot of classical adventure games back. And Telltale was really kind of that middle, middle piece that sort of... Uh, bridged the gap and sort of brought back adventure games into the awareness before, uh, you know, the, the crowdfunding uh, realm was able to kind of pick up the baton. No, I 100% believe that Telltale probably did save graphic adventure games. I mean, I don't know what the world would look like as far as graphic adventure games goes right now, had Telltale not been around. But 
while they're still Germany. That's Germany. That's true. Well, yeah, I mean... They've always had their games. Adventure games never went away, but certainly uh, their quality uh, was not what it was when LucasArts was still in the game. And um, Adventure games between 2000 and 2010 was not particularly good outside of LucasArts, or uh, Telltale, in my opinion, at least. I, I would agree with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly... Um, you could say that for them. And like you say, it, it'll be interesting to see how this all ends up with regard to the assets. I mean, what 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 they could possibly do with those games at this point. And what 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 would what would auctioning off Telltale's properties even look like? Yeah, who knows? By the time that this podcast is out, we might actually know. So, we'll see. By the t- by the time this podcast comes out, there will be seven more Monkey Island games. <laughs> Probably. And it is still a pretty amazing story that we went from, you know, this really negative situation with no Sam and Max to getting, like, more Sam and Max than we ever thought possible. I mean, it, I mean, if you, if you isolate the right moments of the company, specifically the early years, it's it's almost like a, a Cinderella story and how, how amazing it was that they were able to kind of, um, you know, cater to this, this niche that was that had been kind of repudiated. Yeah, I mean, it's, in the end, it's hard to complain. We can look at yeah. Telltale right now that we have a group of gamers who will look at the first half of the company, the era of the company, and consider that the glory days, I guess, of what Telltale did. And then you'll have a second group of people out there who will look at the second half of Telltale's era and consider that the golden age. And I don't think you see that too much with any other... I mean gaming or I don't know what else, movies, whatever, that anything like that has ever really happened before. Yeah, and I mean, I think you got to, people tend to remember companies for their best work, and I mean, in that light, Telltale did very well. I mean, it's it's not as though we emphasize, uh, you know, when we think about LucasArts, we think about the the good games and not so much about the last eight years of its existence. Yeah, no, exactly. So any final thoughts, or should we start rounding this up? Yeah, we should start wrapping it up. I don't know if we wanted to say anything about, um, you know, uh, the whole situation with the the former employees. I haven't really been, I I don't feel particularly educated on that topic, but I know it's caused kind of a furor over the way, you know, (laughs) over the way they were let go and how that whole thing was handled and the, the, the kind of legal ambiguity of it all and so forth. There's still the Kevin Bruno lawsuit. Yeah. And of course the, uh, and of course, the uh, potential class action also by the employees because they violated some California employee employment laws. Yeah, but is 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 Bruner's lawsuit relevant if the company goes bankrupt? I almost thought this whole thing was like a tactic against the lawsuit. <laughs> like you can't sue us if we have nothing. I'm not entirely sure about how that it comes uh, down to how Telltale was structured, and I believe it was a LLC. Which, if they close down, I don't think Bruner has any opportunity of going against anybody individually. And if he does, he would have to go literally against each person going against a group. I don't think he would be able to do at that point. So, for all intents and purposes, his case would be probably dead in the water. Well, we'll be following it with our usual lassitude. Um... <laughs> well, at least we got uh, another. 30 Twitter followers out of it, so... Absolutely. And, I, and, and as far as the, um, the future of the games and the assets, I do hope, against hope, that the, the Sam and Max Devil's Playhouse soundtrack gets a, 
gets a high quality release. I mean, there's ways to get the, the music from the game and it's been done, but the first two seasons got proper CD soundtracks and it's it's always been a shame that the third season didn't. So I hope I don't I don't know what the legal challenges are, but I do hope Jared Emerson Johnson is able to uh get that music released somehow. Yeah, and that was something that was going was going to happen uh from what I heard uh but that was a couple of months back and now I'm guessing that probably is done. They were probably planning on it at the time, but I feel like that game 2010, that era is kind of when the um the physical uh merchandise era was kind of coming to a close for that company. Yep. By the way, Devil's Playhouse got to be their best game, right? Oh, fantastic game. Definitely the best. Yeah, that's that's the high water mark. I feel like I feel like all the people saying that it was the Walking Dead season one, uh, as good as that game was. Um, th- there's no way they've played Sam and Max season three. We did actually run a uh, poll on Twitter because I was curious to see, and yeah, I agree. If they hadn't played the game, then obviously they would go with some something else, and a lot of people went with Tales of Monkey uh, Island, which again makes sense. But objectively, uh, yeah, I'm gonna still say season three of Sam and Max, absolutely fantastic. And what's great about season three is it finally reunited uh, Mike Stemley uh, with the franchise. Yeah, he did some great writing in that one too. Yeah, I, he, I don't think he would, he had, I don't think he had joined Telltale early enough to have been involved with the first two seasons. Although Chuck Jordan, who had done, I think, um, I think he got involved in the last half of season one. He was part of the um, the Infinite Machine canceled Sam and Max game for Justin Chin. Yeah, that sounds right. That's another franchise that could um, be revived somewhere. Uh, I'm sure Purcell would be willing to license it out to another developer if they expressed interest oh, yeah. and seemed capable of doing it justice. We'll see. I'm surprised nobody has done anything more with Sam and Max. But... Well, that's the, uh, the, the one series that someone could actually buy because it's probably not that difficult to get the license from Purcell to keep publishing the games. Yeah, I think as long as somebody's uh, suggesting something that creatively would be something he would approve of, I think he's pretty easy to work with with that. It's the impression I've gotten from him, at least. Yeah, I I, I doubt he demands um, <laughs> Batman-level quotes to license the characters <laughs> out if, uh, if they seem like a good fit. And, uh, you know, at this point, it, it's, it's, uh, you'd be a fool to question the durability of those characters. I mean, they just, they just keep coming back and in uh, surprising ways. Yeah, I guess we had hoped that Campo Santo would have gone out and done something with it because it would have made sense at the time, but I'm not so sure that's reality anymore. There's always some company that's uh, going to be well-suited to it. I mean, kind of like, I mean, part of the takeaways of this story is that, you know, j- just as Telltale was the, uh, was the right company to um, do the characters at that time, there's always going to be some young creative-minded company worthy of the brand so yeah we'll see what happens that's about all i got i don't know if there was anything specific you guys wanted to talk about um i'm enjoying replaying the games i only got through a few of them but uh when i after i downloaded them and had them all handy i just kind of started going through them and it has i don't know if a lot of it is nostalgia because i was 18 when uh the same max games came out but um I have enjoyed kind of reliving those experiences. It brings back a lot of memories of, um, you know, the launch days and all the speculation between episodes and so forth. 
Yeah, I think they were just good games. Yeah, they were. And they got better as they went along, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess this is where we do the usual uh, advertising of random stuff. All your precious social media. Follow us on Twitter and at Mixmojo, where while we do all our posting these days, because we do have a Facebook account, which I don't think nobody has access to except me and... uh, I haven't really visited it. Why why don't we just go ahead and formally say... Forget the Facebook account. <laughs> I've removed, yeah. I've removed every Facebook link from our website, so because I don't think anybody who writes for Mojo now even uses Facebook. I, I just got off the phone with Gabez, and he officially called Facebook old news. So. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> okay, but then it's decided. Facebook is over. Good. Yeah, we do have the Twitter account, and uh, of course, if you feel like you want to contribute something, uh, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash mixmojo. And all the money will be put toward uh, maintenance, basically, of the uh, the server because we're not affiliated with LucasFan Network anymore, which means that we have to pay for everything ourselves to keep the site online. And the LucasFan Network is not associated with them um, being alive anymore. No, there's that. No, there's there is that. <laughs> Plus, we don't have advertisement on the site, so not that we would have made any money from it, I think, but still. And should we mention the YouTube channel or... House of Mojo, right? Isn't that the username there? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We don't have a whole lot on it right now, but we'll keep uh, uploading it, uploading stuff to it, um, especially as we revive the games database. Although, uh, don't put a date on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.